You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Welcome to From Beneath the Hollywood Sign. If you love old movies, Hollywood history, or the golden age of filmmaking, you've come to the right place. This is the podcast that talks about amazing stories of Tinseltown from another era and fascinating conversations with writer-producer Steve Kubine and actress-writer Nan McNamara. So, Steve, did Ava Gardner and Howard Hughes have a good relationship? Well, they did until he dislocated her jaw. What? Well, don't worry. She hit him back with an ashtray. From Beneath the Hollywood Sign is the gin joint for you. Hi, I'm Neil. And I'm Ken. And we are from the Triviality Podcast, a pub trivia-style game show where a lack of seriousness meets a little bit of knowledge. Join us each week for an hour-long game of general knowledge trivia featuring special guests from around the world, plus tons of extra themed episodes. If you want to improve your trivia game, or you just want to scream at us in your car when we get easy questions wrong, then we're the show for you. Find Triviality on all your favorite podcast apps. But you know that, because you're already listening to a podcast. Welcome to our couch. Take a seat. It's time for therapy. Movie therapy. I'm Rafer Guzman, film critic for Newsday. And I'm Kristen Meinzer, culture critic and co-author of How to Be Fine. In each episode of Movie Therapy, Rafer, you and I offer up questionable advice and the finest film and TV recommendations this side of the Mississippi. And don't forget, uh, for yourself, opinions about the royals. You've become a professional... (laughs) Royals watcher. I mean, I guess you already were, but now you should you should add that to the list right now. Why, thank you. And yes, if you did not yet notice, last week we did drop an episode of my other podcast in our feed when Megan met Harry, all about the Oprah interview with Megan and Harry. So enjoy that if you like, or you can skip the episode if that's not your thing. <laughs> all right, Kristen, shall we get to this week's letters? Yes. Our first letter is from B, who writes... Dear Rafer and Kristen, my partner recently joined the military and I'm left behind at home finishing my degree while he undergoes training and deployments. I'm incredibly lonely and scared for this new chapter of our life, and support from other military significant others has been negligible. Most tell me that my only purpose now is to support my partner's career, but I had a whole career planned before he decided to join. Please, do you have any advice or recommendations that will help me find value in my own path and learn to be my own person while we're separated? Well, the first thing I want to say is I don't know who's telling you that your only purpose now is to support your partner's career, but stop hanging out with those people. Yes, I 100% agree. To me, this is completely bananas. What kinds of friends are these? Uh, Now, you know, I don't know... um... Uh, I mean, maybe it's just a different thing when you're in the military and it's a sort of a different culture or something. But I, I don't know. I always kind of felt the military had had kind of gotten beyond that and sort of expanded a little bit beyond this idea of, you know, the soldier and the wife. Uh, maybe I'm wrong, but um, I, I definitely, definitely nobody's purpose is to support their partner's career, unless that's your thing, unless that's what you signed up for and that's how you feel and that's the kind of thing you want to do, which people do, and they make those bargains and they set up those relationships and that's totally cool. Um, but if that's not what you want, um, I don't. I really don't think you should be listening to, to those people. No, no, don't. And um, I will just add a little um, a detail from my own life story, which is that my wife and I were apart um, for many years, uh, for most of our uh, pre-marriage uh, relationship, seven years or something, I think, where we never lived 
um, I don't think even in the same town. At, at, at one point, we got into the same state. Yeah. Weren't you both in like Florida at one point? Yeah, we were in Florida at one point. And I lived, even then, I lived in Orlando and she lived in New Smyrna Beach. And it was an hour apart. And kind of the great thing about that was um, we got to kind of, we got to, we got the best of both worlds in some ways. We got to be to be together to be a couple um, and be in love. And yet also we each ha- got to live our own lives and develop our own careers and our own set of friends and our own interests. And, you know, we were very young then, um, you know, and, but we got to kind of, um, in a way, kind of grow up separately, if that makes sense. And I think Anne is, and uh, my wife has often said that she um, was really uh, glad about that, 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 that everything kind of shook out that way. So again, I think, being separate doesn't have to mean um, that you're not a couple and that you, you can do your own thing. And I'll just add that if there's anything the pandemic has taught us, it's that even if you have to be apart from your partner now, which it sounds like you're very sad about being apart, you can stay in touch with him. We've all learned to stay in touch with people in ways we haven't been able to do before. And you also can pursue your academic dreams, your professional dreams. You can do those things from anywhere. You can do them right now. You can do them if you're reunited with your partner. You can pursue your dreams in all sorts of different ways. So Kristen, what, what's your prescription for B? I am just going to preface this by saying, on the surface, this might not look like quite a match to your situation, but trust me, I, th- there is a reason for this. I am prescribing a movie from 1996 called Fargo. I'm not talking the TV show because I've only seen a few episodes of the TV show. Yeah. But there is a movie called Fargo, which everybody says I talk like. <laughs> oh, don't you know? <laughs> there's, there's... Have, have you ever thought about that, Rayford, that people sometimes write to me and say I talk like I'm from Fargo? And then you think, no, Kristen doesn't sound like that. Kristen, there is... There... That's malarkey. <laughs> there is some truth to it. Some. Not, it's not, I mean, the accents in Fargo are, have been sort of cartoonized. They've been almost Looney Tuneized. And your accent does not sound like that. But you do, you do got a little touch of it, a little touch of it. <laughs> it's part of your charm. Well, let's keep in mind that the producer, writer, director team, Joel and Ethan Cohen are from Minnesota, just like me. Yep. And most of the movie Fargo takes place in Minnesota, in Brainerd, Minnesota, and it follows the very heavily pregnant police chief in Brainerd, Minnesota, played by Frances McDormand. She is playing a character named Marge Gunderson. I knew lots of people named Marge Gunderson growing up in Minnesota. (laughs) And Marge is investigating roadside homicides. Her investigation takes her from motels to car dealerships uh, to a cabin in the woods talking to potential leads and uncovering clues. And throughout this, she often has to be far away from her husband, but that does not mean she's not supportive of him and vice versa. Here's a clip of them together. He is notably a nature painter, and he's just found out that one of the ducks he's painted is going to be put on a stamp, which of course Marge is very supportive and very happy about. They announced it. He announced it. Yeah. So? Three cent stamp. You're Mallard? Yeah. <laughs> That's terrific. It's just a three cent. It's terrific. Hoffman's blue winged teal got the 29 cent. People don't much use the three cent. Oh, for peace. Of course they do. Whenever they raise the postage, people need the little stamps. Yeah? When they're stuck with a bunch of the old ones. Yeah. I guess. It's terrific. I'm so proud of you, Norm. 
Heck, Norm, you know, we're doing pretty good. I love you, Margie. I love you, Norm. Well, this is a, this is a great movie. Um, it's a huge hit. It's really Frances McDormand's crowning achievement, really. Um, she's so good in it. It's so funny. Uh, and I get, I get why you, why you picked that because she really is, you know, she's, she's, she's a lone cop kind of out there on her own, doing her own thing. No one's cutting her a break because she's pregnant. She's got to get out there in those Midwestern winters and drive the cop car around and chase down criminals. Um, she's really, she's, she's doing her own thing. Yeah. She is such a great role model and she takes such joy in her work and she is so good at her work. So be maybe you can identify with Marge Gunderson. But if that doesn't feel quite right to you, you can instead identify with Marge's husband, Norm. Norm may not have the fancy job-saving lives, but he has his own interests and his own passions. Sure. And Marge appreciates that about him. But either way, I hope you make sure that your partner is supporting you and making you feel like you matter in the same way that Norm and Marge do for each other. Because your partner absolutely needs to be on your side here, even if he can't physically be in the same space as you. That is very important. So please make sure he is doing that for you. And I, I know you're already doing it for him. It sounds like you're doing it for him. Well, I, I, w- I will issue a little warning uh, to be, I'm pretty sure this movie is rated R. You do have to have a slightly s- strong stomach. There is a wood chipper scene. Yes. You got to put up with a little little blood in a, in a Coen Brothers movie. So just be warned. Now, some people think the wood chipper scene is comical. I always cover my eyes. <laughs> We're all different, right? I thought it was pretty comical. <laughs> <laughs> no, she's not going to want to watch it, Reaper. <laughs> sure she will. Sure she will. Come on, take a chance. <laughs> right, but what about you, Reaper? What are you going to prescribe to be here? Well, I'm going to go back uh, just a couple years, uh, 2019, to a documentary that came out uh, that I really liked, and it's called Maiden. Um, it is a sailing documentary, and it's about a woman named Tracy Edwards. Um, she's... Uh, kind of an interesting figure. She was one of these people um, who was kind of adrift in life. This was the uh, 80s. Uh, she was kind of adrift in life. Her dad died when she was young. Her mom remarried to a guy who was, I think, somewhat abusive, maybe. Um, and Tracy kind of lit out on her own at the age of, I think, like 16 and just started working as a crew member on people's boats and traveling the world. And she was like a stewardess and she was a cook and all these things. And then when she was in her 20s, uh, she decided, well, why can't I have my own boat? Why can't I have my own crew? Why can't I race a yacht in these uh, fancy schmancy yacht races? And so she decides to do that, and she becomes the leader of the very first all-female yachting crew in the Whitbread Round the World race in the 1989-1990 race. And she enters in and um, gets a lot of flack, uh, gets a lot of heat for it, a lot of taunting, a lot of mockery. But she and these women get in the race and they do it. And here's a clip. We went around Cape Horn and then there was, you know, the, the possibility of some options opening up for us to be able to pick up some ground. So I decided to go for it. Turning up and going up past the Falklands, it got a bit busy. There's only been a few times in my life that it have been that rough. Often on a boat, you know, you'll find the shortest distance is straight into the wind, for example. Well, boats don't sail into the wind, so how far off do you go? It's like hitting a brick wall in a car without your seatbelt on every 10 seconds. It's just relentless. 
there's a lot of slamming. Boom, bang, bang. Takes a lot out of the boat. Sounds so exciting. I love it when women break into a an industry or a field where the dudes all think they can do it right. And this is our turf. And then the women come in there and they just show them how it's done. I love it anytime that happens. It, it, it's, it's amazing. It was amazing, I think, to me to watch this movie because um, the sexism that they faced uh, was just unbelievable uh there's a and the british press you know it's the the, the whitbread round the world race which i think now is called the volvo something or other it's changed its name um it's more of a european british kind of thing i don't think it, it uh, people in america i don't think are that they don't think they follow it that closely but the british press really covered it and they were just horrible <laughs> to these women and there's the one that really stuck out to me was a a cartoon that one of them published which was um the the women coming in sight of the finish line and pushing the male crew overboard, Aww. meaning they had an actual male crew doing the sailing. And so they pushed the male crew overboard to make it look as though they were actually doing the sailing. And I remember thinking like, whoa. And watching the whole movie, I kept thinking, this is... 1989, 1989, 1990. It's not 1940. No, not even 1979. Like, I mean, it's like, it just, I don't know. It's something, it seems so recent, I guess, because I was around then. And I just, it was amazing to me. Anyway, it's a, it's a great movie, very rousing movie. It's a real kind of, you know, adventure documentary. Um, All the women are really interesting. Um, One reason that stuck out to me is because I got a chance to interview one of the crew members, a woman named Dawn Riley, who lives where else? Long Island. And so um, she was, I think, the only American member of the crew. And um, she was fun to interview. And the movie's really fun. Um, you know, and it's, it's one of these things where the director, it just kind of, the movie kind of fell into his lap. He was taking his uh, his child to school and someone at the school had said, oh, today's guest speaker is Tracy Edwards. And she gets up and says, well, you know, well, everybody, you know, women can do it. And I'll tell you my story. And the director was just sitting there going, no one, I've never heard of this. No one's made a, a movie of this. And she just told her story and um, he hit her up and made a movie. And um, luckily the cook on the ship had been like the videographer. And so they, they oh. had documented the entire thing. And so it was it was like one of these great cases of, you know, a movie just literally falling into a guy's lap. <laughs> he made the movie and it's great and it's a lot of fun. And obviously I think it, it speaks to our listener to be, you know, this is, you know, you didn't, these women didn't wait for anyone to hand them anything. And then they just, they went out and did it and they did, and I don't want to spoil anything, but they went out and did it and entered that race. And uh, it's, a, it's a great movie, a lot of fun. Oh, I love it. I'm going to have to check that out, Rafer. Yeah. Yeah, it's good. Uh, all right. Well, so just to recap, uh, our recommendations for B are from me, Maiden, and from Kristen, the Coen Brothers classic, Fargo. We're going to take a quick break. But before we do, thank you to everybody who continues to rate and review us in Apple Podcasts and all your other podcast apps out there. For example, Honest to Abba recently gave us five stars and wrote, Kristen and Rafer are down to earth, warm, friendly hosts with lots of useful recommendations and even some different perspectives on stuff I've already seen. I listen to a lot of podcasts, but I never seem to get tired of this one. Oh, thanks, Honest to Abba. I love that name. Yeah, me too. I mean, I'm a super trooper, and so are you, Rafer, right? <laughs> I'm more of a dancing queen myself, but thanks, <laughs> That's Tristan. True. Thank you. <laughs> All right, stay with us. When we're back, we'll tackle a letter from a new parent who is desperate for friends. 
We are back with our second letter of the week. Rafer, take it away. Okay. Lonely Parent writes, Dear Rafer and Kristen, when the pandemic began, I had just given birth to my first child. My husband and I are the first of our friends to have children. And in the past year, most of those friendships have fallen apart. Both of our best friends even ghosted us after we had our son. It's difficult meeting other parents during a pandemic, and we spent most of the year starved for friendship until we met a few other families with babies. We've put a lot of work into growing those friendships, but it's been a little one-sided. And when we planned a COVID-safe birthday party for our son with these new friends, only one person showed up. The others didn't call, didn't apologize, nothing. I'm grateful my son is too young to remember this, but my husband and I are completely devastated. Being a new parent is really hard, and we're so lonely, hurt, and confused. Do you have any recommendations that can make us feel better about the lonely road ahead of us? Oh, this letter is so heartbreaking. Yeah. I I have a number of friends who've become parents in the last few years, and, you know, they've said that big jump from uh, child-free to parents is hard enough, but the pandemic has made it so much harder, so much harder. Yeah. Yeah, that's go, going going into the pandemic with a with a kid um, with a, with your first kid. Um, that sounds very difficult. I, I guess I would say um, I relate a lot to this letter um, because I've got two kids. One of whom is our, the oldest is thirteen, um, and you know a lot of what this uh, listener is describing is uh, stuff that happened to me. You know, a lot of my, especially my single friends, gone. You know, it's and it's not it's nothing personal between either them or me. It's just that it's it's just it's so difficult. You know, I can't I can't go out and drink until 3 a.m. like I used to because, you know, the the baby is up at four and I just I can't do it. Um, You know, and if you're a single if you're a single person, you don't really want to hang out with a bunch of parents. It's just not that much fun. Um, and, you know, so, you know, we do our best. I'm not saying they've, you know, they're completely gone, but it's very hard. It's very hard to keep those kinds of relationships up. And the other thing I want to say is um, I have not made that many new friends uh, as a parent either. Um, you know, my my best friends are still my oldest friends. I've made like maybe a handful of of friends that I would consider truly good friends since being a parent. Um, and, and I'm really grateful for them, but, uh, that's after 13 years, you know, it's like, we've Mm. been a lot of parents have come in and out of our lives. And, you know, sometimes, uh, it, you, you just, you just don't click, you know, we had our kid in one school and we got along with everybody. And again, we weren't all close, but we, you know, we talked, we were at this party, we were at that party, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. We put our younger kid in a different school. No one ever calls us back, returns an email, no, just absolute. It's just, I don't know what it is. It's just night and day. Nobody, people, people, people will not it, it barely acknowledge our presence in this second school. I don't know what it is, but it's just, you can't take it personally. Yeah, I, I would reiterate, don't take it personally. And keep in mind that those other parents might be going through a really tough time too with their own stress of postnatal depression or just adjusting sure. to a new life or uh, just being so freaking exhausted from not sleeping that they certainly can't get back to people. I mean, there's so much that people go through as new parents. And so, you know, like one person that I'm friends with, her daughter is now three. 
we've seen each other like three times in the last three years. And she, at one point, kind of like let it pass through the grapevine to another person. Like, did Kristen ignore me? And then <laughs> it got back to her like, no, Kristen didn't ignore you. You ghosted her three times in a row. So she just thought you didn't want to be friends anymore. And they're like, oh, I didn't mean to ghost you. I was tired. I just, I didn't mean to ghost Kristen. And so it was kind of like this misunderstanding on both sides that she thought I was ghosting her and I thought she was ghosting me. But it was really just like she was so sleep deprived. She never even remembered getting the text or didn't respond to them and so on. And I totally believe that. I totally believe that. And then it just stretched out, and now it's three years later. And yeah, we see each other about once a year, but I think there's no hard feelings at this point because we both understand neither of us were trying to hurt the other person. Right, right. Yeah, it's it's just tough on all sides. But I, I do want to also say to lonely parent, I think that um, it's it's a long path. Yes. Your baby's only about a year old. You have lots more time for things to get better. And hopefully the pandemic, you know, the situation's getting better all the time with the pandemic, right? And I think that's going to make things better too. I think that's right. I think that's right. So with all that in mind, Rafer, what are we going to prescribe to lonely parent here? Well, I'm going to prescribe something a little bit, might be a little bit off base seeming, but I, I wanted to prescribe something that was fun, that would be kind of upbeat, uh, and that maybe you could kind of relate to. And so I chose the classic old TV series, The Munsters from the mid-60s. Uh, one of my favorites. You can find it anywhere, Apple TV, streaming platforms. It might be on Amazon Prime. Um, I was always a huge Munsters fan. Kristen, do you know The Munsters very well? Of course. I, I'm trying not to sing the theme song because I know everyone will get upset when I start singing because no one likes my singing. See, see, I'm not stopping. This is no, why no one the, wants me to sing. It's the best. It's the cool. It's easily one of the top two to three coolest TV theme songs ever. It's a goth surf rock. I mean, it's just yes, it's, a, it's an exactly. awesome theme song. Um, exactly. So good. Well, if you don't know it, here's here's why I chose it. It's funny. I was going around for some details, trying to remember some the names of some cast members. So, of course, I went to Wikipedia. And Wikipedia sometimes has such a wonderful, uh, short, humorless way of summing things up. And... Um, what it said was, The Munsters is an American sitcom depicting the home life of a family of benign monsters. And that was it. <laughs> I thought, that's right. That's exactly, that's exactly what it is. So if you don't know it, the main characters are basically a, a, a group of these kind of cl like classic universal monsters, uh, all living together in an American suburb. Uh, their address is, of course, 1313 Mockingbird Lane. Uh, and the dad is Herman Munster, uh, played by the great... Fred Gwynn. Um, if you ever saw um, My Cousin Vinny, the judge and My Cousin Vinny, that's Fred Gwynn. Yes. He's also a children's book author, by the way. I used to love his books as a little kid. I did not know that. He's a children's book author? Yep. That too. Oh, that's so cool. Oh, he was so gifted in so many ways. He oh, really he was. Oh, he's so cool. And he's so good in the monsters. Uh, so he's the dad. He's the Frankenstein's monster guy, the flat head, the bolts in the neck. <laughs> uh, his wife is Lillian, played by Yvonne DiCarlo. She's sort of a kind of a vampire, Bride of Frankenstein combo. Um, my favorite character, of course, is uh, Grandpa. Uh, he's the kind of, he's the he's the aged Dracula character. If Dracula <laughs> was like an old Jewish guy from Brooklyn, that's play. he's played by Al Lewis. He's the best thing in the show. Uh, they've, and they've got two kids. Uh, Eddie, very young kid, played by Butch Patrick. He's kind of werewolf boy. And then, of course, there's Marilyn, the older teenage daughter, who is... Not just completely normal, but she's beautiful. Uh, all the boys in the neighborhood are after her. She looks almost like Tippy Hedren to me, you know? Totally, totally, completely, completely. And um, the best part, of course, is that the, the Munsters family, they feel great pity for her because she's so bizarre looking and homely, they think. Um, you know, and she's just... 
How are we ever going? We we all have to show her some love and make her feel okay about herself. Uh, <laughs> so here's a, here's a clip. Poor Spotty. Eddie, while your father has been making a fiasco of this, your loving grandfather has composed a lost and found ad for the paper. Grandpa, that's a wonderful idea. Lost, family pet. Green with yellow scales. <laughs> Friendly, affectionate, answers to the name of Spotty. A breathes fire when hungry, has that lack scar on left shoulder. Lily, Uncle Herman, look what's in tonight's paper. Creature sighted in sewer. Giant lizard seen by workmen. From time to time, workmen have encountered eels and even crocodiles in the underground pipes. But the creature seen today by several frightened workmen was compared in size to the Loch Ness Monster. Gee, do you think that could be Spot? Oh, I don't think so, Eddie. I mean, how could Spot frighten anyone? <laughs> oh, Rafer, this show is so delightful. But I, I gotta say, I'm not quite clear on why you're prescribing it here to our advice seeker. Okay. Um, here's, here's the reason the Munsters are a lot like, um, they're a lot like Casper, the friendly ghost. They're, they're kind of all alone in this world. They, you know, they, they, they live in this decrepit, horrible castle. Everyone stays away. Um, you know, the postman comes to their door. He uses one of those, um, one of those, um, arm extender, the, like the accordion type with like the kind that used to have a boxing <laughs> glove on the end. So with the little X's that, that expands, that's how he delivers their package. Cause he's afraid to get too close to them. You know, the only time they see anyone normal in the world is when Marilyn brings home a boyfriend. Of course, when, you know, when Herman answers the door, the boyfriend will literally scream and fly up in the air and, you know, run away like a, like a cartoon. Um, but they are always a family. And a lot of the show is really about them sticking together and sticking up for each other, uh, even though the rest of the world doesn't understand them. Um, and it's about how the Munsters are really good people and they're good to all the people around them and they never stop being good and they never stop trying. Uh, and even though every time, you know, people run and screaming and, and you know, fleeing away from them, you know, they... They have each other and they're always going to be together and they're always going to be family. And I don't know, there's just something about it. There's something very, um, very Casper, very uh, Edward Scissorhands, very Tim Burton about this kind of ostracized family that's still sort of full of love and sticking together and being good to each other that I thought that our listener might enjoy. That just made me kind of emotional, Rafer. I'm getting kind of teary Aww. the way you're talking about the monsters. <laughs> that's really, really sweet. Thanks, Kristen. It's really, really sweet. I love yeah, it. Yeah, and plus it's just a it's just a goofy, corny-ass old 60s show, and it's a lot of fun. A bit of trivia here. If I'm not mistaken, they were the first... TV couple to be shown cuddling in the same bed on a regular basis. Oh, is that right? I did not know that. Mm -hmm. Two monsters there, you see? Yeah, they are there for each other <laughs> in bed and in life. <laughs> I love it. I did not know that. Uh, okay, so Kristen, what about you? All right, Rafer, I am going to prescribe a different network TV show, but this one is a little bit more recent. It's from 2019. It's available on ABC as well as Hulu. It is called Bless This Mess. And it stars one of your favorite people, Lake Bell. Oh, I love Lake Bell. 
Yes, I know you love Lake Bell. She plays a character named Rio. She is a New York City newlywed, and she's married to Mike, played by Dax Shepard. And the two of them decide to leave their Manhattan life uh, full of psychotherapy and fine restaurants and, you know, all the things that a Manhattan life is like for two dinks, uh, dual income, no kids. (laughs) And they decide to move to Nebraska and become farmers. Oh, They're very excited. However, once they get to Nebraska... They realize they don't know how to identify topsoil, much less fix a (laughs) roof or how to deal with livestock. But here's the worst thing of all. They don't really know how to make friends as adults. Not in this new place, not in this new stage of life. They just don't know how to make adult friends at all. Here's a clip. Oh my gosh, there's neighbor. there must be neighbors. There's people just like walking up to just like say hi and yeah. welcome us. What should I say? What should I say? Okay, so just start with hi. Okay. And then just kind of let it evolve from Yeah, there. just like. She was born and raised in New York. She's hi. never said hi to a neighbor. This hi. is so fantastic. I'm so glad you're here for this. Come on in! Oh. <laughs> hi! I'm Kate Bowman. Oh, I'm Paul yes. Bowman and their son Jacob. I am their son Jacob. Can I offer you guys something? Um, we don't have much, but we have a little. Uh, uh, biscotti and Ooh. some unsweetened ginger beer. Hands fun noodles. Also like a, a turmeric cracker. The red are so, gluten-free, um, as I recall. There's a, uh, uh, I think an ashwagandha uh, hot drink. Anything uh, jumping out at you? Well, I love Lake Bell, as I've said many times before. And I also like Dax Shepard. Da- Dax Dak Shepard is not Lake Bell's husband. He's No, it's Kristen Bell. Totally he's different Kristen Bell. Bell's husband. T- different Bell. That's why I'm getting <laughs> it mixed up. Yes. Um, I remember, uh, is, it, is, this, is this series still going? Because I remember when it started. Um, I think there may be only one season of it or maybe two. Mm. So I'm not really sure. Yeah. And I'm not sure how COVID affected it. I'm not sure if it's going to get renewed. Right. Uh, but I right. will say, I find the show totally delightful. Um, now, note, I'll just say this again. Our protagonists do not have kids. But Lonely Parent, don't ignore me because of that. Um, <laughs> they are still good people for you to watch and maybe see yourself in. Because like you, they're trying so hard to be friendly. They're being ditched all the time. People seemingly are their friends. And then they're kind of like stabbing them in the back or leaving them in the lurch. And you know, it's really, really tough for them, especially because they're trying to navigate this new life with new stresses and they feel so alone. And to get back to what Rafer was saying earlier, it kind of also shows that sometimes adult friendships are more of a marathon than a sprint because this isn't, you know, a movie. This is a series with many, many, many episodes and we see how things progress along the way and we see the mistakes they make trying to land these friendships and we see them taking risks and we see them learning about their neighbors and themselves and each other and eventually things do go their way. Maybe it takes longer than they want it to, but it it does get better. And I also just have to add here, the supporting cast is out of this world. We have Pam Greer, Ed oh. Bagley Jr., Rita Moreno, Marla Gibbs. Oh, wow. It is such a hilarious supporting cast. It, it It is a true delight. And if you're feeling like, oh, I'm really having a tough time finding friends, I think this show will give you a little hope oh, and make you laugh. I'm going to check that out. Uh, my kids are always looking for a light sitcom. And we're running out. So, um, oh, gonna, they're going to love this reefer. I'll put that on my list. And you'll love it too, because then you can just swoon over like Belle. <laughs> that sounds pretty good. <laughs> All right. So, once again, our recommendations are from Kristen, Bless This Mess, and from me, the old Munsters. All right. We're going to take another quick break. But before we do, do you need some movie therapy of your own? If so, visit our website. 
RaferandKristen.com and fill out the contact form there. You do not have to use your real name. And if you haven't already, join the conversation on our Facebook community. That's Facebook.com slash group slash RaferandKristen. It's got to be the happiest social media group on earth, don't you think? Oh, absolutely. There's always fun conversations there. The latest is, do you ever cheat on your loved ones? Netflix cheat, that is. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. You know, those shows that you're supposed to watch as a couple, but then maybe you sneak off and watch without them. I'm not saying I do it, but maybe I do. I'm very faithful. (laughs) I'm very, very faithful. All right. When we're back, we have our What Should I Watch Next Letter of the Week. Hey, everybody, we're back, and it's time for this week's What Should I Watch Next Letter. Christian, you want to read this one? Sure. This one comes from Robin. Robin says, Dear Rafer and Kristen, I recently finished watching Unorthodox on Netflix. I loved the characters and the acting, especially Shira Haas. But more than anything, I enjoyed glimpsing into a religion and way of life that was completely new to me. For context, I'm a white atheist cis woman age 36 who was born in the United Kingdom and has been living in Sydney, Australia for the last nine years. I would love a recommendation of another show that might give me insights into a religion and culture unlike my own. What should I watch next? I have not seen Unorthodox, but I've heard um, great things about it. And I think Shira Haas got nominated for... uh was it a Golden Globe? A Golden yeah, Globe, right. Yeah. Um, have you seen it, Kristen? Yes, yes. And it takes place right here in our hometown, Rafer of Brooklyn, New York. That's right. In the Hasidic Jewish community. And, you know, it's, it's for the most part a very closed off community to uh, non-Hasidic Jews. But I got to say, before I moved to Brooklyn 20 years ago... Um, in Minnesota, I didn't know about Hasidic Jews. I got to be honest with you. And Oh, sure. Me either. And so my first job just happened to be with a Jewish social services organization. So oh. I, I learned about what Hasidic Jews believed. And I, I confess, I bought the Complete Idiot's Guide to Understanding Judaism when I first got here. I, oh, I, that's smart. Yeah, that's I, good. That's a good idea. Yeah, I just felt like it was important to know what was happening in my workplace and in my new town and so on. And, and both those things were really, really helpful to me, that job and the book and so on. But I think this uh, series is also a really interesting introduction to that world as well. And I personally devoured it. I think it's only maybe four episodes. It's a small mini series, but I watched it in a uh, very quick order too, maybe even in one or two sittings. Oh, that's, that's, uh, yeah, I, it's been on my list again. You know, like I say, my, my kids are always into the light sitcom. Uh, I can't, I can't get them to watch anything like this and it might be a little too adult for them, but um, it's been on my list of, uh, of things to check out. Um, So, Kristen, what's your prescription for our listener? You know what's going to be really foreign to you, Robin? I I mean, I'm guessing, is evangelical Christianity, (laughs) American evangelical Christianity, because it is is its own thing. There is nothing like it anywhere else in the world. And that's why I am going to prescribe Hell House. This is the 2002 documentary for rent on Amazon Prime and elsewhere. Note do not just search for Hell House because that will bring up a terrible horror movie you don't want to watch. I remember that movie. Search for Hell House documentary. Do you know this movie, Rafer? I do know this movie. The one about the um, the it's kind of it's the uh, anti-abortion kind of scared straight um, horror uh, haunted houses put on by an evangelical Christian group. Is that right? 
Yes, and it's not just anti-abortion. It is anti-gay. It is anti-women having sex or autonomy over their body outside of wedlock. It is anti-anybody who does not accept Jesus as their savior. So the documentary is made by George Ratliff. In the movie, he is following a full season of one of the original and largest hell houses in America in Dallas, Texas. And if you're not familiar with hell houses, they pop up around the U.S. Uh, in evangelical communities around Halloween. And the one in Dallas has an annual audience of over 10,000 visitors a year. Now, when you visit a hell house, you kind of are, you know, walking room by room through the building. And when you go into each room, you see teenagers acting out. Uh, horrific scenes, like a girl who chose to have sex being dragged to hell, for example. Oh, no. I wish you didn't have to see the things you're going to see. I wish our culture wasn't the way that it is, and we show the things every day in TV and movies and videos. But what you're going to see in Hell House is a, a reality check, where we reinterpret the images. And I really feel it's our responsibility as the church to warn our culture like a, a watchman warning someone of danger. And uh, it's my responsibility and the church's responsibility, and I believe even others' responsibility, to warn them of the, the coming danger and what our culture is facing. If, if I don't do that, then the blood is not only on your hands for your sins, but it's also on my head and my hands for, for your sins as well. And it's notable that the kids who are in all of these skits fought tooth and nail for these roles. Abortion girl is a very sought-after role. Slut girl is a very sought-after role. A boy who falls victim to gay advances is a very sought-after role. So you see all the lead-up to these hell houses. You see these teenagers at church and at home. And, of course, you see the contradictions of a religion that says that it wants to love and save souls but also judge harshly those who don't behave in the ways that they consider Christworthy. Right. Now, one thing I really love about this movie is that it won awards from both uh, Christian organizations and from LGBTQ organizations. Oh, is that right? Oh, that's interesting. And I can't think of too many films like this that uh, re would receive accolades from both sides. And uh, I think that really speaks to the artistry of the film and how Ratliff made it. That sounds great. I, that's, there's, a, a, there's a handful of um, documentaries uh, about the evangelical uh, movement that I uh, wanted to see. That's one. Also, Jesus Camp is another one that I never saw. Oh, Jesus Camp is really good, too. You saw that, too? Oh, yeah, that's that's yeah. also again on my on my ever lengthening list of uh, movies to watch. So yeah, probably check out both of those, Robin. Um, but Rafer, what what are you going to uh, prescribe? Because you didn't actually choose Jesus Camp for Robin here. No, no, I didn't. Um, I was uh, I chose a movie that is uh, more of a, a narrative movie. Uh, it's from a few years ago, from 2015. It's called Embrace of the Serpent. Uh, you can find this uh, on most streaming places. I know that uh, Prime Video has it. Um, it is a movie about a uh, a shaman named uh, I'm going to try to pronounce this name Karamakate, and he lives in the Amazon rainforest. Uh, he's essentially the last member of his tribe. Um, and what you have so here is sad. I well, it's sad and and real. Um, uh, this is a fictional story, but um, and it's really kind of sort of two stories in one, uh, told thirty years apart. Uh, the first story takes place in 1909. When this guy is a young man, uh, uh, Karamakade agrees to take a German scientist into the jungle to search for the sacred plant. The, the scientist is dying, and this Yakruna plant is going to be, he thinks, uh, his only hope for a cure. Um, the second story takes place in 1940, 
when Karamakari is an older man, and it's kind of a sequel. This time it's an American guy named Evan who's got a copy of the old German's diary, and he wants to retrace his steps and also find the sacred plant for himself. And so Karamakati guides this guy along the way as well. Uh, he feels kind of like the first journey didn't end the way he wanted it to, and maybe this is his second chance, a chance to do this journey over again. Um, I can't play a clip here because it's uh, it's all in a, a, a language that I think is called Okaina and maybe some other tribal languages. Um, but uh, this is a movie that really steeps you in this pretty rarefied culture, obviously. These are um, tribes uh, that have dwindled down, I think, like into their double digits. Like there are just, there are very few of these people left. Um, and this the is Karamakade... so depressing, Rafer. Oh well, God. it's, it's... <laughs> I'm getting I'm so sad listening to you talk about this. Well, I mean, the movie itself is not, is not depressing. Um, even though the, even though it is about, you know, uh, it is about these tribes that are, that are, that are going extinct. Um, but it's really, it, it really is a movie that kind of, um, tries to get you to see the world through their eyes, and I think does it in this really interesting way. Um, you know, I, I, one of the things I want to mention is that the that this this main character, this main tribal uh, tribesman, um, is played by two. Uh, actual tribesmen, two real, two real oh. guys from these tribes, uh, a guy named Niblio Torres and a guy named Antonio Bolivar Salvador. I think they're both non-professionals, never acted before. Um, they'd never seen um, a movie before when they uh, were asked to be in this movie. Um, and it's just, they're both really fascinating to watch because they just move and speak in this way that you know, Western people don't. Um, and and as this movie kind of unfolds, you just really get this really stark difference between the way that the white Westerners kind of move through nature, they move through the jungle, and these two non-professionals, these two tribesmen, they really ju they just, they don't seem like they're separate. They don't seem like they're separate from the jungle. They they seem they don't seem like they're moving through it. They seem like they are part of it. Like they are a they are of the animals and of the plants in this really kind of amazing way. And you can just sort of see it on screen. Um, and it's a great movie. Uh, I think it was uh, Columbia's entry uh, for best foreign language film in the Academy Awards. Um, and it's marvelous and beautiful, shot in black and white. It looks amazing. Um, if you're a fan of stuff like The Gods Must Be Crazy or, or The Last Wave or Fitzcarraldo movies like that, uh, where you had this kind of culture clash, um, it's great. It's a great it's a great film. Mm. Well, that sounds amazing, Rafer. I'll cry and I'll watch that. Once again, <laughs> the recommendations from Rafer, Embrace of the Serpent, and from me, Hell House, the documentary, not the horror movie. <laughs> well, Kristen, I think that's it. I think we've wrapped up another episode of Movie Therapy. Indeed, we have. Thank you, everybody who wrote in this week. Thank you, people who write in every week. I just got to apologize. We can't include all your letters on the show, but we want you to know we love that so many of you write us each week. Thank you, thank you, thank you for that. It's nice to have. Uh, it's nice to have listeners. It's nice to have people who. Uh, who appreciate us. I think it's great. And we appreciate you. If you want to reach out to us before the next episode, feel free to on Twitter at Rafer Guzman and at Kristen Meinzer. And you can reach us on our website, RaferandKristen.com. And of course, see every movie and TV show we've recommended there. Until next time, I'm Rafer Guzman. And I'm Kristen Meinzer. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye.